the, the truth is, by way of introduction, I should say the following. The Chait of Moshe Rabbeinu has generated so much literature on it, every single region practically comes up with a, with a, with a Pshat over here, with a Mahalach, all the major ones, Rashi, the Ramban, the Rambam, the Evan Ezra, the Sforno, straight down the line. And everybody doesn't like everybody else's Pshat. The Archaim HaKadosh brings down over here a total of about ten reasons. Oh, he goes through them. And he knocks each one by saying, well, the four Pshat that the Evan Ezra brings down, he knocked. And if you look at the Ramban, you'll see what's wrong with Rashi and the Rambam's Pshat. And I say his Pshat's no good either, so I got my own Pshat. And his Pshat isn't any better. They're, they're all mysterious. Just as a question about the method, why can't they say, his Pshat's okay, but I like mine better? Why no, no, they have kashas on it. No, no, they, because when you're learning Torah, you have a right to, as we talked about last week, about Koma that a machloikis, that's l'shem shemayim, it has a lasting, it has a lasting effect in the sense that each shot has a certain validity, but the other guy fights. Ultimately, everybody makes peace, but part of it is the generation is to generate the machloikis. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's interesting. The Akedas Yitzchak says about this. He says he quotes a Gemara on this. He says it's like sitting at a table where you have a prepared table with food and silverware and plates and everything else, but you don't have a mouth to eat it. You have all the food laid out in front of you, but you don't have a mouth. So the same thing over here. You look at the parsha; everything's very clear. It tells you exactly what happens. And it tells you what Moshe did. It goes through the story. But but then you come to the chait, and it tells you what the chait is, and Hashem's response to it, and you're just like overwhelmed by the severity of what Hashem reacts to what's going on, and you can't understand it. You just can't absorb it. There was a person about a hundred years ago when he's bringing down the different shatim. So he says, I refuse to learn this parsha because there is a total of 13 different shatim on this parsha. And each person invents his own sin for Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, I don't want to learn it to come up with a new sin for Moshe Rabbeinu. Everybody comes up with his own shat as to what Moshe Rabbeinu's hate is. So everybody keeps generating more and more chatoyim for Moshe Rabbeinu. So 13 pshatim as to what Moshe did wrong. So each person is coming up with a whole hate for Moshe Rabbeinu, his own sin. So you have 13 sins that Moshe Rabbeinu did. Nebuch, the guy did one Aver, and everybody's coming up with 13 different Averes that they come up with. I don't want to come up with a new Aver for Moshe Rabbeinu. So I didn't learn it. He says, for 15 years, I liked the Sefer, what, was it the Rabbeinu Chananel's pshat that Ramban was on, or the Sefer Ikram's pshat? Yeah, I think it was the Sefer Ikram's pshat. And for 15 years, I told everybody that that's the best pshat. And then finally I see that that doesn't fit into the psukim, and I fall off of that, so I'm back to Rashi. After all said and done. In other words, this is one of the, as the Rishayim themselves say, it's one of the most difficult parashas in the Torah to actually understand as to what's happening. So what we'll do is, we'll go through the psukim, try to incorporate whatever we can to get a big picture. We'll take a little bit elements of each of the different pshatim. As a matter of fact, what's interesting is that the Medrash... When you go through the Midrashim, you discover that some of the stuff that the Rishayim say, the different Shatan, can already be found in the Midrashim as the Midrashim embroider and elaborate this thing a little bit better. So let's take a look at some of the Psukim. First, I have to give you one introduction, which is the following. We just talked about Poraduma. What's Pash before Poraduma? Korach. What happened in Pash's Korach? 
there's a fight between Moshe and Korach. Here we come, we then have the story of the Poraduma, we then have the story of the sin of Moshe Rabbeinu, and then a few other sins that follow after this. What you don't realize by reading the Chumash is that last week's parsha happened during the first year of the Exodus of Mitzrayim. This parsha, from this point, is the last year of coming out of Mitzrayim. Poradum is just a parsha; it's, it's a law. So, in a sense, we're skipping 39 years of what happened in the of what happened in the um, midbar. So it's it's important to recognize that because when you think about it, what happened is nothing happened for 39 years. In fact, that's the most unique feature about the intervening 39 years is that nothing actually happened. In other words, the Yidden were good. The Yidden were good. There, were, there was no new Nevu, like the Ebenezer says in the introduction to this Parsha. He says, there is no Nevu and Tyra other than the first year and the last year. When you think about it, it's very odd. Only the first year was there Tyra being given. When I say first year, I mean loosely. I mean first year and a half or year and a third until after the Chait of the Miraglim. It was only like for the first year to year and a half. And this last year, this starts from Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Absolutely nothing. They were sitting in the midbar learning Torah for 39 years. They weren't sinning, but they weren't getting any new Nevu either. My Shabbat wasn't making any new miracles. Just the same old stuff. The mon was coming down. And all, right. It's all they're doing for 39 years. And the old generation was slowly but surely dying out and a new generation was coming into place. The kids were growing up, and the old generation was dying out. That's what was happening for 39 years. And as a matter of fact, there was negatives to it and positives. As I said before, the Gemara, there's negatives and positives to this. There is a negative aspect to it, as the Gemara says, that the Jews were in a sense of excommunication for those 38, 39 years. They were camped really in one place for most of the time. They didn't even do that much traveling. They were in a state of excommunication to the point where Moshe Rabbeinu himself didn't even get any prophecy. And that's where I mentioned last time that was part of Korach's Taina. One of his claims was that you, Moshe, only derive your, your prophecy from us, from the fact that we're, um, from the fact that Kali souls on the Madrega. As the Gemara says, that in the generation of Hill, the Gemara says the generation of Hill, the Atalmidim, they were so great that they should have had prophecy like Moshe and Yeshua, but the generation was deemed unworthy of it. In other words, the leader is whatever the people are. And the leader is a reflection of the people. And when the people aren't good, the leader doesn't have it. Part of the concept that we have of, of Yiftach Bedar, or Shmuel Bedar, where we say Yiftach in his generation, is to be viewed like Shmuel of his generation, is the reverse aspect of it. For the generation of Yiftach, they only deserve a Yiftach. The generation of Shmuel deserves a Shmuel. The generation of the Midbar deserves a Moshe Rabbeinu. Our generation doesn't. So even if the individual achieves a certain level of greatness, if his generation is deemed unworthy, he won't get the prophecy. So in a sense, Moshe Rabbeinu was almost in a state of semi-excommunication. For those 38 years, just like Klal Yisrael was. So no new material was being taught and learned really. They were learning over the Torah, they were absorbing it, but there was no new miracles, no new events. It was a very uneventful period of time that they were in the desert. And slowly but surely, the old generation was dying out every single day. More people died. So it's true that Moshe wasn't being given new prophecy, 
But on the other hand, they were sitting and learning and they were generating a whole generation. So the truth is, this is a very important um, introduction to understanding the sin of May Mariva. Why? Because, because what we're seeing over here as well is that Moshe Rabbeinu is somehow intrinsically bound with the generation. In fact, you sort of get like a, a kind of a feeling when you go through the hate of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's as if Hashem was like looking for a way of keeping Moshe Rabbeinu from entering the land. The same way that the generation sinned, you Moshe are part of the old generation and you're not going to go in there. And later on we talk to find in the Devarim that Moshe Rabbeinu says, on account of you, I was held back. And the, the uh, Abar Benel has a beautiful pshat over here, which we're not going to go into. As a matter of fact, I think a couple of years ago on a Wednesday night's class, I think I used the the Malbim's approach yes, to it. Yeah, <laughs> here, it's based on this Pasuk in the Varm, when Moshe Rabbeinu is giving his valedictory address, and likewise, as far as I'm, in me, Hashem was angry on account of you. You will not go into that land. Yoshua Benun, he's going to go. Strengthen him. He's going to inherit the Jews. So therefore, this is another aspect of the problem that we have with the Chet of Moshe Rabbeinu, that we find that the Pasik later on says that Moshe is not being led into the land on account of uh, of their sin. Hashem has called the Hashem was angry at you. And he swore that nobody from this evil generation will be led into the land except for Kolev and Yoshua. And likewise, even Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem was angry at, and he said that you can't enter the land, and Yeshua is going to be the one. So we have somewhat of a, of a contradiction in the Psukim. Here we see that Moshe Rabbeinu was not led in because of his sin. Over there we see it was an account of the generation. And later on the Parshas Vayelech and Hazinu, the Malbim's approach deals with the, I think it was the Malbim's approach, but, but this whole idea of trying to combine the sin of Moshe with the sin of the people is a very important approach to really understand the Chet of Meim Riva, which we're not going to do. Because, um, well, once did it, whatever. But now that we have this, we can finally enter into understanding the Psukim, and let's analyze the words of the Psukim, because maybe we could pick up some hints and some messages as to what's going on. Because it is a very difficult area to try to understand what Moshe Rabbeinu did wrong. It's, you have everything clearly laid out in front of you, but you don't have a mouth to eat it, as the Yaked and Sitzuk says. The Chet of Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, you could see it all over here. But when you come down to it, we can't absorb it. Like, like just the, the wrath of God against Moshe just seems totally out of proportion to whatever's happening. And we can't even figure out what the sin is. And each person is inventing his own new shot and giving Moshe Rabbeinu new sins. The truth is, there are each person saw something in his pshat which the Medrashim already do allude to so we'll see some of it and then as we're doing it I'll mention what some of their pshatim are we'll learn probably Rashi inside but it starts off like this Vayovayu v'nei Yisrael Pasuk Aleph in Perkhoff Vayovayu v'nei Yisrael Kol ho'edo midbartzin now translate what does that mean the b'nei Yisrael came the entire congregation to the Midbar known as Tzin, Arishon in the first month, Nisan. Right away, you already see that there's something a little bit odd over here. What's odd? Who could tell me? Vayovau v'nei Yisrael. And the children of Israel came. Kol ho'eda. 
the entire congregation, Midbar Tzin, Bachodesh Arishon, to the Midbar of Tzin in the first of the month. What is the Kol Ha'eda about on here? What does that mean? By Yavov and Yisrael, the children of Israel came, Kol Ha'eda. Usually would say, By Yavov and Yisrael, Midbar Tzin, the children of Israel came to Tzin. By Yavov, Kol B'nei Yisrael, or by Yavov, Adas B'nei Yisrael. But the repetition in two, you know, it could have been even, even if you want to say the whole thing, it could have said, By Yavov, Kol Adas B'nei Yisrael, Midbar Tzin. The entire congregation came to Midbar Tzin. It says, By Yavov and Yisrael, the entire congregation. By the children of Israel came. The entire congregation. Therefore, what this is telling us is that we're skipping 39 years. That's what it's telling us here. But remember, the last thing we had, we're still holding in the first year. Right? You have to remember that we're making this switch. Parshas Chukas moves us ahead 39 years into the events that's happening. We just bypassed 39 years of, of living in the midmore. So says Rashi. Let's read Rashi on this. Rashi says, "Call Ho'eda, Eido Hashlema, the complete congregation, Shekvar Meisu Meisay Midbor Ve'Elu Parshu L'Chaim, that all those that were meant to die have died. We now have the new generation. The old generation is gone. We're finally ready to enter the land of Israel. This, by the way, is important to understand in order we should be able to appreciate." how the Jews themselves sinned. Because we're now having a whole new section of Jews sinning again. Remember we said for 39 years nothing happened. It says even the next passage, the, 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 the nation settled in Kodesh. Kodesh is already the beginning of the inhabitable land of Edom. They're finally starting to, they left the, the shelter of the Midbar and they're starting to enter now for the land of Israel, the final phase of the journey. So it's significant when it says Kol to tell us that the Jews are now finally ready to enter into the promised land. And the old generation is finished. new generation is there. They're starting to now make the final journey to the land of Eretz Yisrael. The Nitziv points out that because of the fact that they're going from this phase to another phase, there was a change that resulted in the way they were being led now as well. That's part of why the war stopped. In other words, they have to start being slow impact, um, you know, deceleration of the miraculous lifestyle that they were used to in the desert to start going to inhabitable land, and they have to start living on a human natural level, where they have to start living without the miracles, where they're going to live in the land of Israel. And there's a slow, almost like when you come up from underneath the water, you what they, they put you in decompression chamber. Right? You're going to a decompression chamber of sorts is what they were doing. But that's the significance of the words called Ho'eda. They were talking about a whole new generation ready to enter the land of Israel. Vayeshev on the Kodesh. Now Vayeshev is also an unusual term to use. But usually it says Vayachanu. They traveled and they encamped. Vayeshev already starts applying and there's time to settle. Like we have Vayeshev throughout. Vatom Hashom Miriam. At that point Miriam dies. Vatikover Shom. And she's buried over there. Now, I just want to point out, when did Miriam die? So the Yonus ben Uziel says Miriam died the 10th of Nisan. That's when she died, the 10th of Nisan. They assume, I forgot already who says this even, it's an that says this, that the seven days of Miriam's mourning, they still had the water, because for the seven days, throughout the, all the other ones, they also had. 
probably for the next three days the Jews didn't murmur because um, it takes three days till they usually felt the effects. So the fourth day is when they murmur. That comes out Chof Al. I'm sorry, says this. So it comes out Chof Al of Nisan is when is when all of this events occurred, which is the last day of Pesach. And he goes into the whole halachic issue as to water coming out. It's like they should know the about the fact that Tachon and the Rabbah so I pointed out for Shelley he couldn't appreciate it this was on the last day of Pesach they had to produce water so you're dealing with the Shiloh of Tachon and the Rabbah over here it says the whole issue over here centered around the learning in Masech Tzbeah no no it's, uh, it's a complicated thing so anyhow so therefore the Miriam dies but he covers Shom and she's buried over there Shom now it's interesting to you're right Shom Shom by the way is the Gematria no Shom is, is the gematri of the word shom is mechaper. Mechaper means to atone. The gematri of poraduma, says the Balaturim, is also mechaper. So from here we could learn what Chazal say. The Chazal already make this this connection. They say, how come it's mentioned the, the death of Miriam right next to poraduma? They tell you that just as the poraduma is to atone, Miriam is also to atone. The death of Tzadikim. But... Right, and she didn't sin, and she wasn't part of this either. Okay, that's another important thing which we're going to have to see. There's a beautiful chassam here. We're going to get into that to see to connect the chait of Moshe with why Miriam died also. Because again, now we have Nukasha. How come Miriam died? Moshe and Aaron, we know. What about Miriam? What did she do wrong? Aaron also deserved it, as we see from the chait of Egel. There's also another approach that's used that at that time also was already the beginning of the wrath against Aaron. This was just a finishing touch. But Chazal tell us that what is the connection of Miriam dying to the next Pasuk? Teretz is. Because Miriam is in her merit that we have the water. The Be'er shall Miriam. And as a result of Miriam's death, the Jews lost the water. They didn't have any water anymore. And this is the first time really, as a result of this, that the people appreciated who Miriam was. That Miriam was representing the life-giving waters that were, that were keeping them throughout the, 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 their sojourn. For 38, 39 years, they didn't have this problem. All of a sudden, now the people are ready to start journeying. Miriam dies. They don't have any water anymore. They learn from this to appreciate what Miriam's all about. Why is the water representing Miriam? It says the three things that the Jews had was water on account of Miriam, mon on account of Moshe, the Ananiah covered on account of Aram. And as they lost the water, and each of these things, again, this was part of the phase out, as the Nitziv says, from the miraculous generation to the natural generation. Even Moshe, as we've learned, represents a miraculous approach. And Yoshua is going to represent a combination of hidden miracles. But anyhow, they had no water. So the entire people gather on Moshe and on Aaron. The people started to fight with Moshe. Vayorev, they had a riv, they had a machlokes. Vayomer, when they said Lamar, v'lu govanu b'gva achenu l'fnei Hashem. Better that we should have expired the way our brothers have expired in front of Hashem. What are they referring to over here? Govanu means to expire. It's the death of a tzaddik. Tzaddikim are called govanu. What they're referring to is they're saying, hey, the old generation that died out. At least they died out peacefully. They were learning, and 
on a yearly basis that Chazal go through how they would die. They died before Hashem, they would dig their thing and they would lay down. He said, better that we should have expired that way than we should die and die a natural death than we should die of hunger, of thirst rather. The Lomo Havesen, as Kahal Hashem Alamid Borazel Lomu Shamanachnu Virenu. Why did you bring the congregation of Hashem? They already saw that they were that they were special people already. And you, Moshe, you brought us to this place over here, Midbar Tzin. All of a sudden there's no water anymore, and now we're going to die. And they're thirsty. Us, as well as our cattle. I was bringing the cattle into it. Now they take it to the next point. Why did you bring us up from Mitzrayim? To bring us to this evil place. Not a place of seeds and things, kev, gefen, rimon, umayim, English, so there's no water. Now let's read the way the next Pasik is written. And Moshe and Aaron went from before the Kohal, al Pesach al Moed, to the Ol Moed, they fell on their faces, Now, I think from this Pasik, we could see a little bit one of the approaches that's used as to what the sin of Moshe Aaron was. And that's the approach of the Sefer of Ikrim. And some others say it as well. That the mistake of Moshe Aaron, although I'm going to say it slightly different than the way he says it, is that Moshe and Aaron ran from trouble. Look at the way it says it. Rather than being able to handle the situation, all of a sudden, this is 39 years later, Moshe goes, what am I going to do now? He started, he started losing his touch, is what it sounds like. Again, we have to be very careful when we talk about these things because we can't really talk about Moshe Rabbeinu per se, only some of the lessons that we could learn from it. But the way the Torah is already saying it is, Moshe is already starting to be phased out over here. Moshe and Aaron, this is 39 years later, rather than standing up to the people, they run away from it and they flee. And the truth is, there's a message that says something. The al Shimoni says that, as if they were fleeing from them. That, says the Akedah, was the sin of Moshe Rabbeinu. The whole sin centered on the way Moshe Rabbeinu approached it, that rather than standing up, making a Kiddush Hashem on the spot, and praying, and taking the initiative. It's interesting. This approach is based on the fact that Moshe didn't take initiative. He says that... that um, but ultimately, later on, as we'll see, what does Hashem say? Hashem says, you didn't sanctify me before the people. What should he have done? Says the, uh, says the uh, Ikrim, what he should have done is he should have prayed and taken the initiative and smoked the, 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 um, brought the water miraculously anyway. I, how could he do that without praying to Hashem first? He says, if you look around, you'll see that other people did it. It says, when Yeshua stopped the sun in his tracks, which is the greatest of all miracles, he didn't confer with Hashem first. He said, let the sun and the moon stop until we finish the battle. And then afterwards it says that the sun and the moon stopped in its tracks. And the Torah then, the, rather, the Navi then continues to say, no other time in history did Hashem listen to the human voice to this extent to make such a miraculous thing. But that means that Yeshua took the initiative and it worked. And we find the Eliel Barakarmo did the same thing. Eliyahu Baruch Carmel says, Hashem, and he tells the people, this is what I'm going to do. 
and he prays to Hashem and it's done. And we find the same thing happened with Shmuel. And uh, Eliyadavi prays for, I mean, uh, when he prayed for rain. And we find Moshe Rabbeinu even did that 39 years earlier. Remember when he had the problem with Korach? What did he say? He took the initiative. All of a sudden, he loses the, the side of the initiative over here. Now, everybody attacks the Ikrim on his way. Talking about Moshe Rabbeinu always confronts Hashem first, what's wrong? But there's a certain kernel of truth in what the Ikrim says based on this passing. The whole approach could be is you know has legitimate points that could be criticized because they said what do you mean I mean, that was a sin of motion they didn't take the initiative and, and strike the rock on his own but we could already see a little bit of an element that's what I'm saying all these approaches are valid partially at least that Moshe Rabbeinu somewhat lost his touch at least the attitude of the way see ultimately we can only see the facts of the story what went on in his heart only Hashem knows hints could be given to it but we don't know. But the fact is, that's why later on, even when you look at it, we see that Yeshua now was therefore the counterpart of Moshe. What did I tell you earlier from the Pasuk where Hashem was angry at Moshe on his account? So, it says over there, Yeshua bin Nun, let him be the one. Also chazek, strengthen him. When he's going to inherit the Jews. In other words, the leader has to be strong to inherit the Jews. And that's precisely what happened. Yoshua didn't make this mistake and, you know, be a little bit wishy-washy. When a time came for a miracle, Yoshua stood up and he said, the sun and the moon are going to stop. That's the greatest of all miracles. It was performed for Yeshua and it was done at his initiative. Moshe Rabbeinu, 39 years earlier, did the same thing. When he had to make a stand, he said, Korach is going to be swallowed up whole. All of a sudden here it says, Vayovo Moshe Rabbeinu, from before the congregation well, no, well, yeah, you're right. It's interesting that singular is, it should be Vayovahu. It's a good kasha. It's a good kasha, Taka. should have said Vayovahu Moshe Vaharon Pneakol. Vayovo means singular. And then when they're not in front of the kaha, they become plural. It says Vayiplu Alpnem. That's right. And then it goes on to say Vayera. means that it appeared. Vayera means that it appeared. But Vayiplu is plural. Vayovo is singular. Vayovo Moshe Vaharon Pneakol. They... They just like ran from before the people. They fled. That, the Medrash does point this out. The al already says that they fled from the people. So therefore, this is really where we see the Sefer Ikrim's Pshat most clearly. Because otherwise, when you go through the Sefer Ikrim, I mean, it's brought down, the Sefer Ikrim. But everybody attacks it. Because you don't see it in the rest as a criticism on Moshe. Now you can also understand why Hashem had complaints on Moshe. Because you didn't sanctify me. And you didn't, you didn't, take, the, you didn't take the initiative. So you're going to lose it. Yeshua, he's the one that's going to have to do it. Okay. <clears throat> At this point, maybe we should do some Rashi's. Truth is, finally, what did Moshe Rabbeinu in was the fact that he was human. The, the Medrash talks about an entire dialogue between Moshe and Odom Arishon and how the Malachim were, were dialoguing and complaining to Hashem, how can you kill Odom and you decree death because of the sin? But what about Moshe and Aaron? They didn't do any sins. The fact is, ultimately, what... The, the, the human component is what finally caused the death anyway we'll see we'll, we'll expand a little bit on this let's just take a look now at some of the Rashi's um, interestingly Porah Duma in a sense represents immortality because it's to purify the effects of the death of the eagle of sin death and sin are related Porah Duma is there to purify the effects of death which is the effects of sin so there's a sense of immortality and Sadiqim likewise are immortal 
and they are mechaper. That's I told you earlier that the that the pasuk Kachas hamata. Take the staff, the staff hamata, the hakila soeda, ato ba'aron, and congregate all the congregation. Here you have both words, hakila and eda. V'dibartem alasela you and Aaron. In other words, Aaron becomes now a part of this because when you think about it, whatever sin Moshe did, what did Aaron do? How does he become a part of this? So the truth is that part of the pshat, part of the problems with the pshat that most people come up with is the fact that if Moshe sinned, what did Aaron sin? So some people develop the pshat where Aaron was part of the sin. Others will say that Aaron really was an adjunct because of, you know, but he was, his own personal sin was from the eagle still. But it seems that the Torah is putting it together. You and your brother Aaron, you're in this together. And therefore, and the Medrash does point out that Aaron seemingly was just like schlepped along with a sin. But Hashem tells him, take the staff. Staff. Speak to the to the stone, to the rock, in front of their eyes. The Nosan shall give its water. Very repetitious. And you shall bring forth water from the rock. And here again the cattle is mentioned. You'll give to drink to the congregation and to their cattle as well. So you have over here a few interesting elements in this Pasik. In fact, let's just read the next Pasik. Vayikach Moshe es Hamata. And Moshe did take the staff, Milufne Hashem, from before Hashem. Kasher as he was commanded. The Sopra Moshe did everything as he was told, right? Hashem commanded him to take the staff, and he does so. What kind of staff is this? Milufne Hashem, from before Hashem. What kind of staff? What are we talking about here? So what do you mean Milofnei Hashem? Where was the staff all this time? No, this is a different staff. Where was the staff? Oh, it was in the... Um, in the, the Kodesh Yeah. Possibly. The the learns that the staff we're talking about over here, the staff, is not the staff you're all thinking about, but the staff of Aaron. The one that sprouted from this... Where, where the message is trying to be given to the rock. You take a dry stick and it sprouts life and everything else. So you take this staff, you walk over to the water, to the stone, and you're supposed to speak to the stone and say, stone, likewise. The same way that the staff produces, you produce. And therefore, that's part of a whole thing. That's what it, otherwise, why I should tell take the staff? Moshe hits the rock. But Hashem said, speak to the rock. So why should, what does it speak to the rock and the staff have to do with it? So according to this, we're talking about a specific staff. And speak to the rock to do what the staff did. And therefore the people should be impressed. You take out the staff that's been lying there for 38 years, precisely for such an occasion, to tell the people, hey, Hashem you know, could provide. And you take out, remember, 39 years ago, and it's still fresh. Stone do the same, and the people are going to learn a lesson from this, how they're supposed to be. But Moshe obviously then, you know, messes up the whole thing. According to others, the staff is the staff that you're all talking about, which is the staff that Moshe used for all the miracles. What does it mean, Milfnei Hashem? Apparently, for the 38 years, Moshe never took that staff out. So, I mean, like, this is also significant when you think about it. A whole generation passed by, and the staff wasn't used. The staff was never used. 
They're sitting around learning. There's no cause for miracles. They had the daily miracles. So that staff was left in the Kodesh Kadoshim. This was the miraculous staff that represented all the miracles of Hashem that was placed in the Kodesh Kadoshim. Hashem now tells Moshe, Moshe, the time has come to teach the Jews a lesson. New generation, go in there, take out that staff, and speak to the stone to do it. The idea, this will answer the question that everybody has in Rashi. Again, and I'm trying to incorporate all the different shot. We are all familiar with Rashi's pshat, which is that Moshe hit rather than talk to the stone. The Ramban and others ask, ask on this, what are you talking about? If that's the sin, then Hashem wouldn't have told him to take the staff. Hashem says, take a stick and talk to the stone. You ever try talking to a stone? How do you talk to a stone? You hit it. You must, you must know. But how do you talk to a stone? This is what Ramban is saying. Talking to the stone means hitting it. So to say that Moshe's sin was that he hit rather than talk, I said, you don't see that from the Torah. The stone has no feelings, who cares? Right. I mean, when Hashem says, it means communicate. That's all it means. Talk to the stone means verbally talk, means communicate. Well, you communicate with each thing the way you... To a dog, you communicate by going, shit. It's not your words that do it. It's your expression that does it. And likewise, when you talk to a stone, how you talk, how you, make, you know, when you're right, when pet rocks, when they say that you could do tricks with it, you could, it plays you dead, and it says over there you, you, you could make it fetch. You throw it, right? You know, how do you make a stone move? You throw it. So how do you speak to a rock? You hit it. So Hashem says to Moshe, take a stick, speak to the rock with it. Well, okay, I'm saying, but, this, but then the question then becomes, why take the stick? Why take it? had the stick when the ocean parted. It's not like... He yeah, but, but he, he stretched out. He, he did, did what? He, but he, he did use the staff in all those cases. And let, let's let's now just add a little thing to the benefit of Moshe. One could already see that what Moshe Rabbeinu did over here was just following what Hashem told him to do over there. That's what the Rosh Bam says. The Rosh Bam says Moshe Rabbeinu only sinned b'shogeg. The whole sin was a shogeg. True, Hashem told him to speak. But Hashem tells Moshe, take the staff and speak to the rock. 39 years earlier, he had the same episode. Take the staff, hit the rock. It's interesting, over there, it's a tzur here to sella. So that's where the Malbim has a whole different approach between what's the difference between a tzur and a sella. I don't want to go into that. But the fact remains that Moshe Rabbeinu had a precedent. So if you remember, I once told you a very nice vort on this. Anybody remember what the vort was? That everything with Avram, whatever Avram did, personally, Hashem paid back personally. Whatever Avram did with the, with the Shliach, Hashem paid back with the Shliach. Right. Hashem fed, Avram fed the angels personally, Hashem fed Mon personally. Hashem, Avram fed, gave them water through a messenger. Yukach nomat moim. Hashem did it through a messenger. That's what we told Moshe the first time. Smite the rock. In other words, had Avram not of sinned, not sinned, had Avram have done it with one extra measure, a little bit more, Hashem would never have told Moshe the first time to do it like that. He would provide a water direct. And when this episode happened, Moshe wouldn't have had a precedent with which to make a mistake. And therefore, Moshe would not have sinned. So Avram indirectly caused Moshe to sin. All because he didn't go that extra measure. That's just a side lesson to learn out from this. No, no. It's a cause and effect. We're not talking about punishment here. We're talking about cause and effect. The fact is that Avram did everything perfect. One thing he did only 99%. And it had lasting impact for future generations. The fact he fed them, Hashem gave them money. 
the fact that he did this, Hashem gave him that, whatever it is. But but a little bit was left in doubt where Moshe ultimately made a mistake. But this is the kasha that that the Ramban has on, on Rashi. That Rashi says over here that the sin was speaking, hitting instead of speaking. The first time he was supposed to, he smote the rock. He was taking the staff over here for the same reason. So there must have been a reason for why he took the staff. Teretz is. He took the staff. He was supposed to hit it. So therefore, what's the sin of? Not, not speaking. But according to what we're learning now, Rashi's pshat is that we're talking about a specific understanding of why he's taking the staff. He had to take the staff milufnei Hashem. Hashem wasn't commanding him, I want you to hit the rock. I want you, for 39 years, Jews were not complaining. There was no trouble. There were no real miracles that, that had to be performed for them specially, specifically. Now the time has come. Take that old staff out of mothballs. You know, you have the, the, the warships, the battleships, and mothballs. We needed them again against to do battle. Take it out of mothballs, right? So you put your staff away. You got to bring it out of mothballs, and we got to do a job on them. You got to show the Jews, remember what's going on here. According to the Kliyokr, it's even more logical. Because according to the Kliyokr, we're not talking about the staff. We're talking about the staff of Aaron. And therefore, you should specifically speak to the stone in order to show this kind of thing. Yeah? Wouldn't you think that the issue of words versus something else would be very critical here? I mean, <clears throat> by this point in time, everybody has learned Torah for 39 years. The truth of the matter is they could have prayed for rain, just like, I mean, there's a pr- specific prayer for rain. Uh-huh. They, it's funny. They I, should have been, yeah. by now, they know this. The Nitziv really goes in that whole approach over here. That the mistake of Moshe was that it was supposed to have made them pray, and he should have prayed, and he just changed the whole thing. It, it, it turned into, uh, rather than to turn into Kiddush Hashem, where they should learn how they're supposed to approach things for the future especially now that they're going into the land of Israel and they're going to need rainfall. Moshe should have elevated them to learn what to do in these kind of trying situations. Jews are for 39 years, they're getting fed, they're getting the mud, they're getting the water, they're getting everything, all of a sudden the problem comes up, what are we going to do? And they go to pieces. And Moshe Ben goes to pieces with them. Moshe said, hey, Jews, we're learning a lesson. We're being phased out. You're going to have contingency situations that are going to arise. And we got a plan for contingencies. We make a fast, we daven, like he did last time. All of a sudden over here, the whole thing was different. He runs away. He goes in. Hashem is trying to say, V'dibartem el doesn't mean talk. The Nisif says like you, V'dibartem el doesn't just mean talk to the stone. It means V'dibartem, speak. Give some Musr. Daven, pray with the Jews. Have them pray. You should use words. V'dibartem el speak of, of regarding the stone. In other words, to bring out water. How should you bring water? V'dibartem el Give its water. Bring out water by praying. That's that's also another approach that you're machavin to over here. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, rather than elevating the Jews, turns the whole thing into a different thing. Which we can now understand again the relationship between their sin and Moshe's sin. The fact is that we now have the opportunity to Moshe had the opportunity to take the Jews and elevate them and put them into a different way where they could enter the land of Israel with the right attitude. And he blows it. So once the Jews are no longer worthy, Moshe is no longer worthy. Because if you remember, that's what we talked about once before, that's what Abar Benel says, that once the Jews were deemed unworthy, then Moshe Rabbeinu can't enter, because if Moshe would have entered, and the Beis Amigdash would have been built by Moshe Rabbeinu, it never would have been destroyed. 
and the Jews were just not on that level anymore. So that's where the connection is between Moshe's sin and their sin. What do you mean anymore? When were they? Well, no, no. The fact is that the Jews sinned by the Miraglim. As a result of the sin by the Miraglim, it was already <clears throat> it was already set up for generations that the base of English was going to be destroyed that day. Those calamity after calamity is going to occur. But that only is if the Jews had now one last opportunity to learn their lesson to undo the mistakes of the Miraglim. And this way they would have entered the land of Israel with Moshe Rabbeinu. And they would have seen the divine approach. They would have settled the land. They would have built that kind of a base of English that could never have been destroyed. And as such, they would have had, they could have fixed things up. But the fact is that they didn't elevate themselves. Moshe didn't elevate them. So part of the sin of Moshe was a sin you didn't elevate the people. It wasn't so much that you just hid rather than this. You had an opportunity to undo the mistakes of the eagle and the miraglin. And Moshe, you didn't do it. You didn't measure up. You didn't elevate the people. You didn't elevate yourselves. So therefore, the people don't deserve it. They were never elevated. They remain in their original state of sinfulness where they're going to ultimately go into exile. And you, Moshe, had an opportunity now to elevate them, and you didn't. So you can't enter the land on their account as well as because we're the cause of this. What wasn't the sin of the bitter water at the Mar- Marari? Wasn't that uh, right away when they came out of... Uh, it's right. So, yeah, but th- th- we don't find that as being a sin that Hashem uh, was upset with them for. Talk about the Miraglim. And this was an opportunity to undo it. It was never undone. But you're right, the Bartholomew cell, that's one legitimate approach, which means to pray. So, but again, you, you see, when you take apart each part of the puzzle, you see these things, that Moshe takes the staff, Milufnei Hashem, is a significant thing. Kashr at this point, he did what he was told. Don't make the mistake into thinking that the staff wasn't part of it. Hashem told him to do it, and he takes it. So he takes it out of mothballs. But now let's go on with the approach that we had, where Moshe Rabbeinu is now just not up to what he was 39 years earlier. He's responding differently to all these problems. You know what? Um, in point of fact, Moshe Rabbeinu over there was talking about the Chet HaMiraglim, where he says, on account of you. In other words, because you sinned with the Miraglim, you are unworthy. As a result of that, I couldn't enter the land. It's all, it's all your fault. If you wouldn't have sinned with the Miraglim, I would have been able to enter the land. But because you sinned, so the whole thing was 39 years later, I had an opportunity to fix it up, I blew it. It is my fault, but it's also your fault. If you would have been worthy enough, I would have entered the land with you. Because you're unworthy, and therefore I couldn't enter the land either, because Hashem can't let me in if you're unworthy, since you're going to have to go into to a Tisha buff, ultimately. So it's a, com- it's a combined thing, and you have to understand that. It's a little bit of a more sophisticated thing. Both of that first generation dead already? Here, here they were dead. But that's the whole point. We have a whole new generation, Kol Ho'eda. Now you got to prepare the Jews to enter the land. And if you could do it right, it'll be great. But you had a chance to rectify the situation. He didn't. You're saying because he ran from their midst. Uh, that's that's a little bit of a different aspect. Again, he wasn't able to elevate him. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if the, the two are necessarily related about the running. I'm just pointing out different things from the posse that we could learn out. How are you going to combine every single aspect? I'm not sure. That was the Ikram's shot. Now we're saying something slightly different. We're talking about the Barb now. Okay. Let's go weiter. By Akilu Moshe Baron, as I call El Pnei Asola. Moshe congregates all. No, nobody. This is me when we spoke about uh, what? The Haman. Right, the very good. Hamin Hoeit. Hamin Homon, right. There's another place where the Hamin is mentioned. So the Balaturim connects it. But I don't know exactly what the Balaturim means, but the truth is we could make this connection already. That Moshe Rabbeinu now is making his critical sin, his mistake. 
He's showing his humanity. The Rambam says, what was the sin of Moshe? That's what you were saying earlier. That he spoke to them wrathfully. We don't find that Hashem was angry at the Jews over here, says the the Rambam. Moshe Rabbeinu had no business bawling them out. They had a legitimate thirst. They spoke wrong. But when they saw Moshe lose his temper, they learned from that one of two things. Either Moshe lost his temper and it's okay to lose your temper, or Moshe wouldn't lose his temper unless Hashem is angry at us. And they went into a state of depression as a result. But the fact is, we're talking about a generation that was watching Moshe Rabbeinu, every response he made. For 39 years, he's teaching them Torah. All of a sudden, they have this episode comes out, and Moshe speaks to them, Shimu no hamorim. Listen, you rebels. Hamin Could we pull water out of this rock for you? And all of a sudden, they, they're like in a state of shock. They're going to go into a state of depression. Because, oh, yeah, Hashem must be terribly angry at us. They're de- dejected. Or Moshe happening. Moshe lost his cool. He lost control. Again, this would fit into the idea that we said earlier. The Ramban says on this pshat, it's hevel. <laughs> That's what the Ramban says on the Rambam's pshat. It's, it's empty air. Because that you can't say that the mistake of Moshe was that. But in the Midrashim, it does bring down that Moshe lost control over here, and he lost his temper. And we know that, the, that w- what that means. Losing control, losing your temper means that you break off that connection to Hashem. Right, Moshe Rabbeinu was the perfect conduit. Every time he lost his temper, he forgot Tyre. Right, exactly. Every time he lost his temper, he forgot Tyre. So that's that's exactly what happened over here. What happens over here is let's assume Rashi's right. Let's, let's combine all these pshatim. The fact is that by Moshe losing his temper, he already now forgot what he was supposed to do. No longer does the message come through loud and clear. He's already lost control as to what he's supposed to do, and the whole thing degenerates. We're really combining a lot of different pshatim. But when you do it, it comes out, you could come up with a whole different pshat. Are we going to be able to bring water out of this rock? At that point already, rather than speaking to the stone, rather than having everybody daven, the Jews are already murmuring, and Moshe goes, and he hits the rock. At that point already, it shows, it shows Moshe, you're not the one anymore. But it's interesting so that's the, Ra- the Rambam's pshat. That Moshe yelled at them wrongfully. The Hamin then makes a lot more sense also. The homon aspect. Hamin ho'etz. When Hashem tells him, did you eat from the tree that you weren't supposed to? This harks back to the original sin, eating from the tree. To the nochosh. Hamin ho'etz hazeh. You know, that sin, that critical sin that was already in Odom Arishan, comes out 2,000 years later in Moshe Rabbeinu. Hamin hasela. You lose control. You be, that, it's the human aspect. And this is what led to his death. The Ramban, by the way, likes Rabbeinu Hananel's pshat best of all. Besides his own pshat that he's going to say. He says the mistake was the word notzi. He implied that we're doing it. Do you expect us to be able to bring you water? Let me show you. He should have put it on Hashem. He should have given Hashem the credit. He should have said... Take a look at this rock. Hashem can bring water out of this rock. He already ascribes it himself. We are going to bring you water from this rock? That's where the word me'ilo, later on Hashem says, you were moil. You, you, you derived pleasure from this. You took a little bit of credit to yourself. Yeah, it, it, it's done rhetorically. It's a rhetorical statement. At that point it says, 
Vayorim Moshe's Yodo, Moshe lifts up his hand, Vayach es Hasela b'Mateu, Pamoim. Again, a new, new thing. He hits the rock two times. Vayetsu Maim Rabim, and a great deal of water comes out. Vatesh to Edo Viram, and he gives to drink to the people and their chayes and their animals. Now, what does it mean that he hit it twice? Because the Torah seems to consider that significant over here. Sure. Says the Rabban, that's the mistake. Hitting it once would have been okay. The second time was the problem. Now, the Medrash says the first time a little bit of water came out. The second time is when he brought out more water. But again, let's combine it with, with the Rambam. He's angry. He loses control. He forgets about speaking. He strikes it in wrath twice. He's no longer doing the miracle that was supposed to be done. The whole miracle that Hashem wanted to give a demonstration now degenerates. Rather than speaking to the people nicely or speaking to the stone and letting the people learn a lesson from it, he yells at them, he then takes the rock and he smacks it twice to bring out the water. It reduces the level of the miracle. Especially if, as the Malbim says, by, by the cell is different than a sword. Sword is a hard rock. This is like a... Um, what do they call that kind of rock? Sandstone. Limestone. Sandstone. Lime. And it like knocks off part of it. The water gushes out. It's no longer miraculous anymore. It's no real big miracle. Especially the first time he hits it, the Medrash says a little bit of water came out. He hits it a second time, more water gushes out. It's, yeah, it's no longer a miracle anymore. So the sm- smacking it twice was the sin. However you're going to define it. But again, you see how the Torah keeps telling us little bits and pieces over here. And a great deal of water comes out. All of a sudden now we have already what Hashem says to him. Because you didn't have faith in me, to sanctify me amongst the Jews. In other words, the sin over here is the sin known as Chil Hashem, or lack of Kiddush Hashem. You are not going to be able to bring the Jews there. And Hashem was sanctified there. How is Hashem sanctified? Because of the fact that, well, let's take a look at a couple of the Rashi's here. Ramban's kasha on the Rambam was that how could you Rambam say that the sin of Moshe was the anger? Aaron never was angry in his life. We don't find any time that Aaron was ever angry. So if that's the sin, Aaron wasn't part of that sin. However, some of the other Pshatim, though, it does does fit in. Aaron flees with Moshe. They were supposed to do the miracle together. Hashem says, you and Aaron, together you got to do it. If it was a sin of omission rather than commission, then Aaron is just as guilty. If it's a sin just of the anger, then you're right that Aaron wasn't well, part of it. Well, did we ever see a point in history where Aaron uh, uh, out, uh, took over from Moshe? Aaron always took his cues from Moshe, whatever Moshe. Yeah, I know, but, but I'm saying, but his point is, that, that's what I'm saying, that's why we have to combine the number of the Pshatim. If we just take the Rambam Pshat that it was anger alone, then Aaron wasn't part of it. But Aaron had his peckle from the eagle. It, it's not so clear. I'm saying that's why you have to combine some of the Pshatim to be able to get a total picture of it all. But Aaron was the one that used to talk for Moshe, so maybe that's why... It's a so that's a sin of omission, rather than commission. Again, it depends, you know. But, um, let's see. Had you spoken to the stone, I would have been greatly sanctified amongst the people. Now one of the questions that the Ramban and others ask on Rashi is, 
ultimately, why is it a bigger miracle to produce water out of a rock that you speak to rather than hit? It should be the same miracle. Now, according to comes the Malbim and he says, it's not true. Because the way Moshe hit it twice and knocked off part of the sandstone and water comes out, it does reduce the miracle. And certainly people might be more impressed with a verbal miracle rather than an action miracle by hitting it. But again, this remains an issue amongst the Rishonim themselves. Is there a lesser miracle by hitting the stone than by speaking it? If there's a lesser miracle, so then that was the sin of Moshe. Hashem said, I want you to make a miracle. And I want to produce an effect. And you have reduced the impact of the miracle, so you have reduced the Kiddush Hashem. Right? There's supposed to be a Kiddush Hashem. What's the Kiddush Hashem that you're going to talk and make a miracle? You didn't do it. So it's like any prophet, a prophet that makes a mistake in his nevuah and doesn't do it right, it's a critical mistake. And Moshe deserves death sort of for it. As a matter of fact, the death, in a sense is an atonement because that becomes as we'll see in Rashi the actual Kiddush Hashem to result from it but that's only if we assume that there's a lesser miracle others say of course that um, that there is no difference in the miracle but Rashi sort of answers all these criticisms on him by saying the issue over here isn't so much it's a reduced miracle rather than a greater miracle it's not a question of a quantitative miracle greater or lesser it's the lesson that's going to be learned from one kind of miracle versus another kind of miracle. Let's assume quantitatively both are equal miracles. But there's going to be a qualitative difference of lesson to be learned from it. So Rashi is already familiar with some of the criticisms that are being leveled against his approach. And he sort of answers it. That's why if we read Rashi carefully, we could see how he already somehow, um, you know, takes into consideration all of these things. She'ilu dibartem al had you have spoken to the rock, I would have been greater sanctified. Not because it's a greater miracle. But the stone responds to, ver- to words. We people certainly should. We have to listen to the word of God. Because they would have taken a moral lesson from here, which you don't get when you hit the rock and you produce water. And we're going to talk about this. That's where I, where I want to get into. I want to get into this idea over here about the lesson to be learned. But that's what Rashi says was the, was, was the error. The error was that the Jews drew the wrong lesson from here. So therefore, you're not going to be able to, uh, to bring the people, etc. Now, let's just point out another thing. Pasuk Yud Gimel. This is a very interesting Pasuk as well, the Rashi says over here. Heim o Meim Riva. This is known as the Meim Riva. Heim haniskorm mokam acher. This is what Paro's people saw. We all remember that Paro, Paro's astrologers saw that Moshe, that the savior of the Jews, their downfall was going to be water. So therefore he said, you know what, let's throw all the kids in the water and this way we're going we're to nip it in the bud. They saw correctly. Moshe's ultimate downfall was water, the main Meriva. As a matter of fact, when you think about it now, look at the significance of Moshe's name. Drawn from the water. Out of all the names that Moshe had, he had a lot of names. The one that stuck to him was Moshe, drawn out of water. That Paro's daughter drew him out of water. And if you remember, we once learned the Ebenezer. The Ebenezer says that there's no real way of, when, when the astrological signs tell you something, it happens. 
It's just that there's very, a variety of ways that it could be avoided. What happens over here is that Paro saw the Jews are going to suffer in the desert. There's going to be blood. The blood was exchanged from the blood of the destruction of the Jews to the blood of the Brismila. The Domai Chai, that became, a, that became a, a, a cause for life rather than death. Moshe Paro wanted to drown him in the water. He was drawn out of the water. That was his life. But it was still true. The ultimate downfall was the sin of the main river. So Moshe didn't meet his downfall with water, and that name stuck with him through his life. But at the last moment, he, he lost the lesson. Had he been cognizant of the fact, you got to be careful. Your name is Moshe, you got to be drawn out of this. He would have made the mistake. So, so the astrological signs were correct in this sense. And they were sanctified. What does it mean that they were sanctified? Then Moshe and Aaron died. As it says, As we had by Nodav and Aviyu. What does Moshe tell Aaron? That Nodav and Aviyu sanctified Hashem's name by dying because when people see how, how demanding is, the, is, is justice, they learn a lesson from they learn that there's no such thing as favoritism by God. He doesn't take bribery. It doesn't mean, oh, Moshe and Aaron, they could get away with whatever they could get away with. It doesn't work like that. Hashem has an exacting <coughs> measure. And we have to learn a lesson from that. That just because we're good today, doesn't allow us to slacken off tomorrow. You come to learn today, doesn't mean that tomorrow you could go on vacation. It doesn't work like that. Moshe and Aaron also, 39 years, they did it right. One day... <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to strike back over here. Yeah. <laughs> Hit the rock. Hit the rock. Speak to the rock. That's, that's what we're going to talk about now. But the fact is that the Kiddush Hashem is made precisely because Moshe and Aaron, who strike the rock and make a slight sin, a slight corruption of the mission of Hashem, no forgiveness. It's not so easy. Even on Moshe and Aaron. Zaktich Sam Seifer. Yan lo hemantem bilag disheni. You haven't believed in me to sanctify me. Lochein lo soviu. You will not bring the Jews into the land. Vinero lo farish. Mashihik b'akodesh boruchu al akor zukol kach. Why was Hashem so angry at the fact that Moshe hit the stone? Because we have a principle, we know this, Chazal say this, others say this, Had Moshe entered the land of Israel, The Jews would never have worshipped Avodazar. Therefore, The Beis Amigdash never would have been destroyed. And if the Beis Amigdash would wouldn't have been destroyed, it would have lasted forever. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu, for whatever reason, can't enter the land, they're going to sin and it's going to lead to the destruction. Now, Vinay says the Chassam Seifer. It's not so simple. That's good to the first base of English. We know the first base of English was destroyed. Why? Because of Avodazar. If Moshe would have been there, he would have been able to stop the Avodazar. So there wouldn't have been Avodazar. Wouldn't have been destroyed. But what about the base of English? Sheni, the second one. Where did the second base of Middash get destroyed from because of Sinas Chinam, you know, causes hatred? Shubai, they Holchei Rochel, 
umidabim loshen hara, right? Came because loshen hara because of evil speech, right? Alzela hoya moyel hachlas is Moshe. So Moshe Rabbeinu bringing the Jews in would have helped to stop loshen hara. Therefore, it says like this: Lochein hoya kavonas hakodesh baruch is baruch kadim sasam loaretz. Therefore, what Hashem wanted to do before they entered the land, lohoras lohem, to teach them that this is the worst problem of all. Because the first Beisam Mikdash was only destroyed for 70 years. The second Beisam Mikdash has been destroyed for 2,000 years. Because Lashon Hara and Sinas Chinim is the worst. So Hashem says, now call later. Remember what we said we introduced. The entire congregation, they're ready to go in. Hashem wants to teach him a lesson. Says the Rechazan Slaver, what was the lesson that Hashem wanted to teach him? The lesson of speech. Dibur v'dibartem el ha-sela. hara. See how powerful is evil speech, what it could do to be destructive, and good speech, the power that it has. It could make the greatest miracles. They should take a musr from this. We're just talking. Right? They were murmuring with Moshe. What was their sin? They weren't doing all the Zara now. They, they come to Moshe, they're speaking bad talk. Hashem says, this is going to be the ultimate destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Moshe, you got to teach them now a lesson. The power of the tongue. The power of the tongue to make miracles and the power of the tongue to destroy people. Teach them not to talk evil. If they do this, they'll be able to dwell on their land forever. And the Beis HaMikdash will never be destroyed. Maisha's mistake was he never taught him this lesson. That's what Rashi says over here. Remember the Rashi? That the Jews would have learned the lesson. What's the lesson? The lesson of what good speech can do and what evil speech can do. Because of that, they taught him the wrong lesson. They never learned this. They learned from this just the opposite. They learned just the opposite. What's the opposite? You know what the opposite is? Well, you can, everybody knows this as a kid. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never harm me. In other words, words are nothing. Sticks will do it. Maish Rabbeinu hits the rock, and that's what produces water. The Jews learn from this, speech is nothing. Sticks, that'll do it. We only got to worry about action. We don't got to worry about words. Words are meaningless. Only action counts. Words don't count. Sticks and stones will... So you hit the rock, you produce water. Sticks and stones will break my bones. But words to the stone doesn't do anything. Names will never harm me. They learned the wrong lesson. The opposite lesson. Lochain. Now we can already understand the connection with the Jewish people in Moshe Rabbeinu that he can't bring them in. Therefore was decreed on them, You're not going to bring the Jews in. So why? Because it's not going to help. Because the land, because the base of is going to be destroyed. We, got done saying Moshe Rabbeinu would have brought him in and would have lasted forever. Hashem says, Moshe, you blew it. Because the base of Mignesh is going to be destroyed anyway because of Lashon Hara. You taught the people the wrong lesson. As a matter of fact, with this we can understand a beautiful connection to the next part of the, of the Parsha. What was the next thing that the Jews did? In the Parsha. In the end of Parsha's Chukas. <laughs> Nobody finished Parsha's Chukas. How are they going to know this? Right? Vayisu mehorohor. They uh, they go away from her by idaber ho'om belokibu Moshe, and he starts speaking bad speak. Why you take us out of Mitzrayim? He's like, eh, the mon, there's no water, and we hate this, and they start complaining verbally. 
Hashem sends the snakes, the serpents, remember? Why? Because of Lashon Hara. We sinned. Because we spoke evil. His pray to Hashem that he should that he should do it. Hashem, so Moshe puts up this brazen serpent to teach him, hey, look at the power of speech. What was the sin of the Nochash? Lashon Hara speech. The first sin. Hamin Remember we talked about it before? From this rock. Hamin What was the first sin? The Nochash speaks. Uh, you put a verbal barb in there, a verbal arrow, the power of speech. That the serpent didn't cause the first sin, caused this sin, and just like the first sin led to the ultimate downfall of man, and he never recovered, this sin of hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock led to the next sin where they spoke Lush and Har, and Moshe and Hashem tells him, put up the serpent, let him try to learn from this. Didn't help all that much. Moshe had to daven, but the people spoke Lush and Har. So this now connects to the next sin of the Jews very well, because now we can understand why the Jews sinned, and this ultimately led to the destruction of the base of Migdash. So Hashem says to Moshe, at this point already, there's no point in you bringing the Jews in, because it ain't going to help anyway. You saved them from Avodazar, but you did not save them from speech. Now we could go back to Miriam. Now there's a Pasik. There's a Pasik in Zechariah that says, Vo'achid, you see now the connection, Vo'achid shloishis haroim b'yerach echod. The Pasik says, and Chazal Darshan, that, that, I took away the three rulers, the three shepherds of the Jews in one month. In other words, what happened was within, the short, within that last year, Miriam died and they lost the water. Moshe died and they lost the month. Aaron died and they lost the covered. Their clothing, which is the covered, the food, which is the month, the water, which is Miriam. The three shepherds that shepherded the Jews for 40 years, they lost. But the Pesach said they lost them all in one month. And it connects it together to Hashem that it was all one sin. But we all know that Miriam didn't sin. This sin happened afterwards. So what's the connection? No, she and as a matter of fact, what was Miriam's sin? Why did she die in the 40th year? Uh, Russian ah, Russian, Russian horror. Her Russian horror. But we don't know what her sin is. There's no mention of her sin. Aaron and Moshe died because of this sin of Mamariva. But Miriam was from way before that. So what was the sin of Miriam? It says we know what Miriam. But Daber Miriam. Miriam spoke evil. Dinei, let's read it now inside. Lo imotzinu b'kros shum tamal misosu shel Miriam. Achshav. We don't find any any cause of Miriam's death. Um nechsev achet shloshes aron biyerech echad masha shkulam meisum midover echad. They all died for one reason. V'gam loshen akrov biyerech echad ain lo moving one month. Also doesn't make any sense. Lo b'chodesh echad meisum because they didn't die in one month. V'nearly the motzinu the loshen hara horik shlosha. We have a principle. Lashon Hara kills three people. As the Rambam said, we learn this in Hilchus Deis. The one that says it, the one that it says it about, and the one that it was said to. Who are the three people? Miriam speaks to Aaron about Moshe. Right? Lashon Hara destroys three people. The speaker, the listener, and the one spoken about. So he says over here, this beautiful one, Cipher. Vanemar He's Mekabal. Therefore, right away, all three of them had this problem. And it simmered. It seethed inside of them for 40 years. Certainly, one sees the cause and effect aspect here. What happens? Miriam dies. The well dries up. It causes the Jews to murmur. 
it causes Hashem to tell Moshe to do something and Moshe miscalculates and makes a mistake and Moshe so it comes out that the talk happened like that Miriam speaking about Moshe caused Miriam's death and it caused Moshe and Aaron's death indirectly cause and effect forget about punishment and everything else cause and effect Miriam sins her way as a result she dies as a result of her death the water stops and therefore the Jews start murmuring Moshe loses control and he makes a mistake and now Moshe and Aaron do it so in one month all three were destroyed. Because of the death of Moshe, that, of Miriam rather, began the death of Moshe and Aaron. That's what caused it. The And they all died on account of one thing. Continues the Chassam Seifer that HaKadosh Baruch who wanted to teach Klal Yisrael a lesson to rectify the situation. He wanted to teach the power of speech that a person shouldn't say, what did I do? Hello, Rakti Barti, I spoke. Says the Rambam, that's the way Bali Lashon Horus say. That they say, they claim, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. Shleyosa klum. Ubeme sheker dovor. It is false. Because we know, Moves v'chaim biada Loshan. Power of life and death is in the hands of he who speaks. Shegodl koyach hadibur. Hein l'toive, hein The power of speech is enormous for good or for evil. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch wanted to teach this lesson. Now that Klai Yisrael is ready to enter the land of Eretz Yisrael, that, it's, uh, that finally all the, those that had to die, died, the entire congregation is now ready to enter the land of Eretz Yisrael. So now Hashem wants to teach them how to maintain Eretz Yisrael, that it shouldn't be destroyed. So, Lochein, Mesa, Miriam, Achshav, now that they're ready to enter the land, Hashem let Miriam remain alive to the last possible moment. Throughout the 40 years, He allowed Miriam to remain alive. But now that they're ready to enter the land of Eretz Yisrael, Hashem wants to show Klal Yisrael the lesson that they should learn from this. So Miriam dies as a result of her Lashon Hara. And Moshe and Aaron that were somewhat... Aaron was a willing participant, Moshe an unwilling participant in the Lashon Har. Hashem wants to rectify the situation, so He causes that as a result of the death of Miriam, the water stopped flowing. Now the people start murmuring against Moshe and Aaron, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, okay, now they have to learn the lesson. Miriam dies, the water stopped. Now, Vidibartem Alasala speak to the rock and teach them the lesson of what the power of speech can do for good as well as the reverse, as well as for evil. This will then rectify the situation and show them the power of speech that they shouldn't come to ultimately destroying the base of Migdosh down the road with the Sinas Chinam and with the Lashon Har. Moshe and Aaron that have to teach this lesson because they were also participants in the previous Lashon Har. So therefore now they are commanded that to rectify the situation of the Dibur of Miriam against them, they should speak to the rock and as a result of that, show that the power of speech is so powerful that it could feed an entire people. An entire populace can be fed with the power of speech. will learn from this. That the power of speech is so powerful. And not sticks and stones alone will break my bones, but power of speech is the most powerful of all and therefore they will be nizer in Lashon Hara and therefore it won't come out 